So I was impressed by that because that's the only time I've ever seen any worker do that. Sometimes I spray the sanitizer in my mouth. Yeah, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> the topic of today's podcast, front desk workers at the gym. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, right. Let's let's talk about that. Right, the front desk guy. Oh, yeah. Remember where you were basically the head of operations at the front desk? True. Still am. Grandmaster Wizard Dragon front desk. Yep. <laughs> it's not really what we're going to talk about, but I bet the listener out there has some great stories about front desk people who are great. Like, hi, welcome. Welcome back, Johnny. Or don't even look up from their phone when you roll in. Whatever. In any case, today's podcast is brought to you by two great companies, 1440 Coffee Roasters, the official coffee sponsor of the aerobic power builder and of aerobic power builders everywhere. Nice people, family owned company, really good stuff. Uh, we like it. And if you're like, it's a little later in the day and you're done drinking coffee, but it's time to like uh, wake up and get your heart rate up a little bit. Rain energy drinks. Think monster lights your fire. Try a rain. You won't sleep for days. <laughs> 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 that is not true. <laughs> not for you. You're immune. You are immune. Oh, my caffeine intake is pretty bad. What do you think your daily consumption is at milligrams wise? Mm. Or maybe kilos if you're just. What if you were up to one kilo? Then that might be in the hospital. I don't think so. <laughs> that would not be good. No, that would be bad. Yeah. Because it's the, not it's not that grams. bad. I mean I have... you might be at a gram of caffeine in a day. Thousand milligrams. Mm, I'm sure I've hit that before. Yeah. You have a reason to right now, though. Uh, Energy is real, a little bit, a little well, bit well. on the low side. I don't really have a good excuse. I just like it. Just like it. Just need a little pick me up. Little pick me up. So it happens with age too. Could you say that caffeine is a version of assistance equipment when you're working out at the gym? Yes. Weird. What's the topic today? <laughs> by the way. Exactly that. Assistance <laughs> equipment. Weird. <laughs> All right. Episode 31. 969 to go to 1,000. But we're here. We're working through it one at a time. Yep. Do the math. You're right. 969. That you did it that quickly. <laughs> you like that? You like that? Papa's got some tricks. <laughs> Assistance equipment at the gym. Now, this is an interesting topic because uh, – some people use too much assistance equipment and other people uh, have an what I would call an overly intense aversion to using it to the detriment of their uh, performance and to their goals. So why don't we start to talk about uh, at the most basic level why, what a, a assistance equipment would entail theoretically because it could be a lot of things. Maybe we'll give some examples and why in the world you would use it and you wouldn't just do everything barefoot, shirts off or, or whatever. You know what I mean? Blindfolded. Blindfolded. Oh, that would be a whole different, squat, whole different podcast I squat there. blindfolded. You should be always able to squat blindfolded. Oh, boy. Constantly varied, intense, and functional. Yeah, out of the hopper, blindfold. Everything. So go ahead. Turn it loose. <laughs> uh, so I think one of the things that most people think of with 
uh, assistive equipment is weight belts, um, which truly do serve a purpose and a function. Um, but depending on kind of where and when you started your fitness journey, uh, you may not quite understand the reason behind it and how to properly use it. Therefore, people that wear it the moment that a barbell comes out is inappropriate. Inappropriate, yeah. So you see sometimes over-application of that one. People throw on the belt. They're doing warm-up sets and they have the belt on. Uh, so do you have a rule of thumb for when you would like to start to use that kind of stuff? 80% um, or more of my max lift is yeah. kind of a good rule of thumb that I go by uh, with squats and deadlifts typically. Um, I know that some people utilize it in overhead pressing. Um, I'm just not to that point to where I find that is necessary for me. Yeah, I think I think eighty percent is a pretty good number. Maybe eighty-five, heavy, um, to the to the point where where that might make sense to help you with internal bracing and stuff like that. I think the caveat with something like a belt is is if you use it over time, so or too much, or every time, so over application, you get to the point where you never develop the ability to brace internally, and so that's really important. Because even if you're working at sub-maximal weights, like somewhat lighter weights, um, you still need to be able to do that effectively, especially if you're going to do high rep sets. So if you're training for hypertrophy, say, the weights uh, comparatively are a little lighter. If you're doing a lot more reps, you have a lot more time under tension, so it makes sense to be in a good position and to develop that skill. And if you use a belt all the time, it doesn't necessarily allow you to do that quite as well. Yeah, and I think it goes back to learning how to properly brace um you know those are that's a topic that we've not talked about on our podcast but something that we talk about with our clients um is ensuring that they're in a good position and that they understand what it means when we say brace right so if you don't understand what i mean to brace your core when you go to deadlift or go to back squat magically adding a belt to your waist isn't gonna make you do that it, it, if you don't know how to do it, then it, it defeats the purpose to add something to to your body. Yeah, but if you do wear a belt, it makes you look cooler because it makes you look much more serious. And then you can hit a set, a kind of rip off your belt and like, you know what I mean? Like throw it, throw it on the floor. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? Especially if you have your belt like at your rib cage. So it doesn't actually do its intended purpose, but it just looks <laughs> cool. The old high belt. Kind of, I kind it's kind of like wearing sunglasses inside or when it's cloudy. Or at night. Or at night. Song. Yeah. Would you ever get a belt with your last name on it? Like, you know what I mean? Maybe. I mean, it's kind of like football players have their last name on the jersey. Just let everyone know who's playing. So, so that's, that's what that lifter's name is. I yeah. can't wait to get you a belt yeah. with your name on it. Professionals only, really. That's Units right. only, actually, is what I like to say. Units only. Units only. Oh, boy. <laughs> so the belt can be a great tool, especially if we get heavier. Um, I've tried it with overhead pressing. Incidentally, I don't like it as much. I've done that before. I didn't find it to be all that helpful. Well, I'm sure because I'm Says sure it forced you to stay a little bit more upright. <laughs> nah, you don't have to. You just grip it and rip it. Just get it. All right. So that's one example. Uh, what about Olympic weightlifting shoes? What do you guys think about that? Uh, can be good for some people. 
maybe not necessary for others. Um, so if you aren't familiar with an Olympic weightlifting shoe, essentially the heel is elevated. So it would be similar to if you put your heels on a couple of plates. So you were more kind of on your toes. Hence, uh, sometimes you can target your quads more, or you'll see some people if they have really poor ankle mobility or hip mobility, it allows them to squat a little bit deeper into their squat. Um, so that can be beneficial and it can be, um, beneficial in terms of getting into a better position, but then also if you're targeting your quads, since your weight is distributed more towards the front of your body, you inherently have to use your quads a little more. So that could be a reason why we do use it other than if you have maybe poor mobility, but if you have poor mobility, then you should probably just work on your mobility and and instead of just strapping everything up. Um, but weightlifting shoes can be used to target your quads a little bit more specifically and intentionally rather than just doing whatever the movement may be. I think, again, it goes back to the reason why you would use, use an assistance. Um, uh, good points, bad points. Uh, if you're always using it as a crutch, right? Like if you cannot squat without them, then probably not the greatest idea. Um, but again, it, if it helps you and allows you to at least feel what that position should feel like, uh, then it can be used as a tool in that regard as well. Yeah, I actually have, I don't have such a hard line view on it anymore. I used to have more of a hard line view that like you should be able to do it squat without Olympic weightlifting shoes. But if we look at the reality that that is a common issue, people with tight hips, tight ankles. And if that piece of equipment allows them to get into a better position, allows them to be less injury prone and allows them to get more stimulus out of the movement in the near term, then I think it's a net benefit. So yeah, you could be a hardliner and be like, yeah, just work on your mobility. But the reality is, and this is coming from someone who is, has poor mobility, it does it's not fixed overnight. It's not like two weeks of working on your mobility and you just can squat like a Chinese Olympic weightlifter. Like if if you can fix it, and it's not even a fixed thing, if you can improve it, it takes like six months or more. And so what the hell are they supposed to do in the six months? So I would, I would say like, well, why don't we be in a good or at least better position the whole time and kind of like come off the high horse of, I don't need equipment. Well, it, that's often said, like, I don't need a lot of equipment by people who have really good mobility. So it's like, okay, well, <laughs> you're like having an advantage in that realm. And yeah, people should work on it. Certainly people like me should work on it. But in the meantime, that oh, should you not exercise like should you not squat or should you do what you need to do in the near term while fixing it and trying to make it a little bit better i think again like to rise point it depends on what your goal is so if your goal is general purely general fitness and functionality you almost certainly don't need to wear olympic weightlifting shoes and it would make a ton of sense to pay a lot of attention to your mobility your ability to get in good positions like in bare feet stuff like that However, if your primary goal at the moment is focused on performance or aesthetics, then it makes all the sense in the world to use that equipment. And that's why many, if not most, powerlifters tend to wear Olympic weightlifting shoes, especially if they're tighter. Um, 
the tighter in terms of restricted mobility and why top level bodybuilders use them too is because they're trying to target their quads. So again, it, I think it's, it, you can't get lost in trying to be like a perfect human. You have to try to really focus on what your goals are. I'll play devil's advocate with you for a second. And I agree with the targeting part, but maybe the mobility thing is a societal issue. If everyone's sitting constantly, so you inherently have a lot of people who have tight hips, tight ankles, tight, whatever, which obviously same thing. You can't fix it overnight, but it's another, I mean, that's a conversation for a different day, but yeah, I mean, that's something you kind of have to think about too. Every single person is sitting in their car all the time. I agree with you. I think that makes sense. And it's certainly, I'd see that if I'm programming for people all morning and then go to squat, it's like, I've never done it in my life. It's awful. You know, compared to if I'm moving around prior. Um, you and so, yeah, I think it your depends. Your squats aren't like always below parallel. They're all, they're always fine. <clears throat> they're perfectly acceptable. Are they the deepest squats? Are they as deep as coach Amanda's? Definitely not. Do I try my best? Absolutely. Do I ever purposely cut my my uh, depth? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> mm, uh-huh. To be determined there. <laughs> Whatever. Uh-huh. It doesn't matter. <laughs> lost, <laughs> lost where we're at now. Whatever. <laughs> the whole another topic. <laughs> They're fine. Change. They're fine. Video my shit all the time. It's fine. It's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. <laughs> So another topic, another day. Uh, so let's move on to some grips. Yeah. Coach, I can't hang on to the bar. I was doing these straight leg deadlifts for my hamstrings, but I had to stop the set because I can't hang on to the bar. Oh, what to do is the answer, coaches. You just need to develop your grip or maybe something different. <laughs> maybe something different. Obviously, it's, it is good to develop your grip strength. However, in movements where the intended stimulus is your legs, right? So deadlifts of any variety, your grip failing should not be the reason that you are stopping a movement. So if there are ways that we can hang on to a bar longer, so the intended stimulus of hamstring growth, glute growth can happen, then it's perfectly fine to then use a pair of grips. Use a little bit of chalk on your hands. True. But do you think what if I'm using chalk, should I like slap it against my face and like do a LeBron James clap with the chalk in the air? Like that, like more is probably better with chalk, right? If you're at your own house, you can't like maybe sprinkle a little bit in my mouth. Like, (laughs) if we're cleaning up after you, absolutely not. (laughs) Put put chalk in your hands in the bucket. You know, I think what we're not saying is that you should do like your one rep max deadlift attempt with straps or with grips or things like that. Certainly, you would use chalk almost certainly, Uh, but those things should be unassisted. The point we're making is when the target muscle is not being maximally stimulated in like hypertrophy work, where you're doing a lot of reps. Um, that's where we want to ensure that that issue doesn't happen. And we can do that by assisting your grip. So you can build, quote unquote, develop your grip in many different ways. Um, 
Ryan, have you ever failed a, a deadlift attempt before because you couldn't hang on to the bar? No. No. And you can deadlift almost 500 pounds, right? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. At a body weight of 160 ish 165 right yeah. yeah exactly so grip isn't an issue but rye when doing straight leg deadlifts will use versa grips because he's trying to target his hamstrings so again there's an issue if you can't hang on to a, a, a 95 pound bar to deadlift that's a little bit different than if we're hanging on to a heavy barbell for a long time and the goal isn't to you know roast your grip or whatever i think you can just look at it as like whatever you're targeting. So whether it's like hamstrings for your straight leg deadlift or your lats for a lat pull down or pull up, like your, whatever muscle you're targeting is most likely bigger than the muscles in your forearm. So like you inherently have to use heavier weights and more load for those muscles. So, I mean, you don't have to be like a scientist to understand that like bigger muscles are going to require heavier loads. So then the smaller muscles in your forearms, like can't keep up. Like, it's not really that challenging of like a thing to understand. Like you just have to, a smaller muscle can't keep up with the same load as the muscle you're trying to target. Well, especially if you're trying to do a lot of reps, right? Yeah. So you might be able to do that. You may not need grips or things like that for a set of three or a set of five, but if the intention is to do a set of 15, weighted strict pull-ups you may need some grips and it's not because you don't have a strong back or strong lats or otherwise that wouldn't even be an option the uh, the issue is that you can't hang on to the bar so i think that you brought up an excellent point that we think you know the listener we would like you to be thoughtful about this stuff so you don't want to be lazy I'm going to use lifters because i won't work on my mobility i don't adequately warm up and I don't really feel like I'm, I would need to get that low in the squat. That's not the idea. The idea is that you're super thoughtful about what the intention is of what you're doing and potentially use some equipment to enhance that. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, this is assistive equipment and it is meant to assist you not to do the work for you. Um, so if you're relying on it because you can't complete, uh, a movement as it's intended without it, then that should be worked on. However, if we're working to develop more muscle growth, then use it to assist you in that. For sure. What about knee sleeves? Oh, good question. Mm. Because, I mean, I think we've all seen the spectrum of people who put them on for like a maximal squat but then also the person who puts them on for running and <laughs> running and pull-ups for e all so but then but then it's kind of backwards because they're just around your ankles so really you're making your running and your pull-ups harder I think the, the really nice thing about having them around your ankles, though, is that people know how serious you are about fitness. True. But you know, they also they know that then they can't see your your shoes that you use for fitness, that's, your nanas that's or your mech. That's, that's the hard part about being a functional fitness enthusiast is there's so many different ways to show people how serious you are about it. True. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> that's a really good question <laughs> is um, – you know, certainly if you're in a powerlifting competition or if you're just in a, a gym, but you're going to attempt maybe a one rep max 
back squat. It might be sensible at certain point to throw some knee sleeves on. They, it can be a, a safety issue, like you help support your knees a little bit. And certainly, uh, you know, with full transparency, there is absolutely positively a performance enhancement issue. It's widely known that you'll get five or 10 or 15 extra pounds from knee sleeves, and you get a lot more than that from knee wraps. So that's why you often hear competitive power lifters talking about their numbers, and they'll say in sleeves or in wraps, because it's known, it's like using a bench shirt, it's known, uh, we can talk about the slingshot too, uh, that those things enhance your performance. So they're just trying to be transparent about how they completed that lift. Again, the idea would be if you're coming in on an average day and you have knee sleeves on and it's a typical training day that something might be, and you don't have, and maybe, you know, if you have knee problems, that's a little bit different. But if you're just a normal person um, and your wife got them for you for Christmas, like eh, maybe save those for like a special day. Yeah. Again, this is, again, hence the title of this podcast, this is assisted equipment that is meant to assist you. And there is a time and a place for it. Um, and none of it's necessarily wrong or you shouldn't use it. It's just understanding when you should and in what capacity. We don't need grips and elbow sleeves and knee sleeves and lifters and a belt to do an 85-pound back squat don't you shouldn't if you're that broken we need to find a different podcast doctor we we need to break down some things and work on them to where you're not that broken cool uh are we forgetting any pieces of assistive equipment i was thinking uh a dip belt actually that basically only applies to you no, a lot of there's a lot of people who can add weight to both dips and to pull-ups. So the idea of a dip belt, and this is uh, more resistive, like it adds difficulty, but it assists because it holds the weight. So a lot of times when we're prescribing people for movements for people who are good at calisthenics, um, but don't have this piece of equipment, is they're really obliged to either put weights in a backpack and like perform the movement or um hold it between their feet neither of which is optimal because that becomes a limiting factor um however you know using something like a dip belt uh, where the the weight is basically hung from a belt around your waist can be very helpful uh do you guys think though it's appropriate if you're doing like say ring push-ups and you can't get the full range of motion to add extra weight so we're taking uh, kind of an opposite thing, more resistive. Like at what point do you add more difficulty um, to a given movement? If there's like a honey across the room and you're really trying to impress her, <laughs> maybe. I mean, maybe. Sometimes you got to take one for the team. But overall, probably not a great idea, uh, especially because you're probably not going to get a ton out of it. You're going to get a lot more out of doing it unweighted and going through the full range of motion at a controlled uh, kind of pace rather than slapping a couple wheels on your back and then basically making a fool out of yourself. See what happens. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> this podcast has just gone in a completely different direction. Uh, I think at the end of the day, right, the whole, the whole point of this obviously is to get you guys to start thinking, right? We want you to be thinking athletes, thinking about why you do things when you do them. 
if you use something like a belt or grips, when it's appropriate to make things harder, right? Because you can perform a movement, let's just say a push up uh, at body weight for multiple, multiple reps and need to make it harder so you can get more of a stimulus out of it and when it's appropriate to do that. Um, obviously, as coaches, that's what we're here to have discussions about. Um, so if you're curious about whether or not you should purchase any of these things that we've discussed today, or whether it's appropriate for you to use them, or how to not use them if you over rely on them, uh, then reach out to us, let us know. Yeah, I think that's perfect. That's you took the words right out of my mouth. This is ultimately, that's the role of the coach. Um, he or she should be able to guide you in terms of given your goals and given the focus of your uh, programming in the moment, whether some assistive equipment may or may not make sense. And uh, one of the things that you know, we try to do is pointing people in the direction of things that are a really good deal. It's not always the cheapest thing, but we try to point people in the direction of stuff that's worth the money, basically, because there's a ton of stuff out there that is not worth the money and you do not need to waste your money on um, and that we don't want to see our clients certainly do that. So again, I, like you said, it's being a thinking athlete, but also having a trusting relationship with a coach and that they can can help you move in the right direction to make sure you're not spinning your wheels, wasting money, uh, putting yourself in a dangerous position, et cetera. Yeah. Before we go, I think that uh, one of the biggest assistive equipment that we didn't touch base on, but should because it's the most basic and something that you should think about from the very beginning is going to be your shoes. Right. So there, oh, yeah. There are people that come in with like crazy foam bottom shoes. I don't understand. To try and lift. Shoes. I mean, again, trying to impress the honeys across the room. Do, do you think girls like those weird foam, like moonwalking shoes? Maybe. The, the answer is no, guy. No, the answer <laughs> I don't is have no. any, so I don't know. Uh, but so that is typically the very first conversation that we have with most people is that they're just in the wrong kind of shoe uh, in coming in and trying to learn how to properly press through their feet um, for any and every of the movements that we, we coach through. Yeah. And so obviously we're, we're biased because they work really well for everything towards shoes that are made for CrossFit or functional fitness, like Reebok Nanos or Nike Metcons or Noble trainers. Uh, however, you don't need to go with those. Like Chuck Taylors still work really well. Vans, uh, Vans work really well. Adidas Sambas work really well. Anything with a flat bottom that is that doesn't really provide you with a ton of cushion is pretty good. And again, this should be something that, that you can talk to a coach about um, because unfortunately, if you have like those weird moon shoes, they're like actively dangerous to squat with, to deadlift with because they're so cushiony that you can't be stable. If you have hundreds of pounds on your back and you roll your ankle, like that's potentially catastrophic. So it's, it's one of those things you don't have to spend a boatload of money. There are always sales. I like to help people find like good deals because I'm a cheap guy. I don't want to spend a bunch of money on shoes. But that, I, that's an excellent point that that should be the first order of business if you're going to invest in your fitness is to talk to somebody who knows, namely a coach, about your footwear for sure. Yeah, I think once you get that kind of dialed in, you work on your strength, you work on your mobility and you get to a point where 
assistance is then appropriate for you, then obviously those are discussions we can have then. For sure. All right. Last word. We have like two minutes left. What is your favorite piece of assistance equipment Ooh. right now? I have to think. Someone else go first. Uh, I have found a new love in my Olympic lifting shoes. So coming from functional fitness, I had it all wraps, knee sleeves, belt, and I didn't understand the purpose behind it, but that was what we did. Uh, and so now understanding how adding my lifters into my training can help grow my quads specifically. Uh, it's just been kind of fun to play around with those again. I say Versa grips because they you can hang on to anything. It's imagine a hook grip times four point two five. It's like if a bear, a grizzly bear, had a hook grip in. Yeah, you can't. Sometimes you want to let go and you can't. You're stuck. <laughs> you're, no. you're stuck. Versa grips are really nice. I'm kind of torn because as you both make those points, they were they're like in my top two weightlifting shoes. Again, to target the quads, especially things like leg press and hack squat, um, are, are just an absolute game changer. Or, or uh, Smith Machine feet forward squats, game changer. But Versa grips are cool too. I still love the old slingshot. I haven't used it in a while, but it was a really, really cool assistance tool for building your bench press. Uh, so I think, I think if you pressed me, I'd have to say right now. Olympic weightlifting shoes because you don't use your weight belt that much. That's like, I use it like twice a year. Um, yeah, we'll go with that. So hit us up if you have questions about assistive equipment. Otherwise have a nice day. It's blustery. We're going to go for a walk. We might blow away, but you know, what are you going to do? We'll talk to you later. See ya.